Spotting Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Through Pierre, on another wild, wonderful Wednesday, friends. Today's Torch Report 269, local control versus the global cabal, sizing up the competition by looking at the numbers and applying a little bit of logic. So let's compare, shall we? There was an article that caught my eye this morning. It was over at Zero Hedge, uh, and it was said the title of it was these are the 100 biggest companies in the world and it struck me uh, that every company in the top 10 was an american company uh, with the notable exception of the saudi energy company aramco uh, which sits in third place with its 1.8 trillion dollar market capitalization and i put the list there uh, screenshot the list there in the torch report today friends if you're listening on a podcast platform please know to get all the goodies to get the screenshots the behind the scenes uh, features you need to go to the torch check out the torch and welcome to all of the new subscribers and uh, thank you to all the the recent outpouring of financial support from all of those who have been joining the patriot club it makes my heart soar like a hawk now with that said here's the list uh top 10 most profitable companies the biggest market capitalization okay number one apple 2.3 trillion dollars number two microsoft 1.9 trillion dollars number three is the saudi oil company with 1.8 trillion and number four is alphabet that would be google 1.2 trillion and then amazon's squeaking in just shy of a trillion at 924 billion and the list goes on down there tesla's at number seven uh but Johnson and Johnson and Visa rounding out the top 10 but I look at those numbers and I just think man it's kind of fascinating uh you know I don't maybe you don't dork out on the numbers I kind of like to dork out on the numbers that's a lot of money and of course, money is power and influence. And you can check out all the real-time data for the top 100 companies. I put the link there in the article. Uh, but I want to put these obscene amounts of money into perspective. So let's compare the market cap of these top 10 companies to, say, the GDP of the top 10 most wealthy nations on the planet, for example. Actually, let's make it the top 11 because uh, Russia rounds out the top 11 right there, not making it into the top 10. But... Again, screenshot there, it shows the United States has the highest GDP, gross domestic product, the most, making the most amount of money or what have you, uh, 19.48 trillion on China's coming in second at 12.2 and then Japan way down there at 4.8, top three right there. And then all the way down, you've got Canada and Russia uh, rounding out 10 and 11, 1.6 and $1.5 trillion GDP. And here are just a few things that stood out to me looking at the numbers. I don't want to get lost in the numbers. I just want to look at them for a second. Uh, this is actually going to transition into somewhat of a philosophical romp. But stay with me here, friends, because I believe I'm getting down to the, the meat of the situation. So each of the top three companies and the top 10 most profitable companies, they have more money than Canada or Russia both of which are considered modern developed nations, both of which have militaries and, you know, big metropolises and all that kind of stuff. Okay. But these individual companies, the top three companies, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet, if we were to just take the uh, American companies, they have more than these companies. It's just mind boggling to me. And in fact, the second thing I want to point out is that the lowest ranking company in the top 10, which is Visa, with its $454 billion market cap, uh, put it, it 
puts it on par with the 25th ranked country in the world, Thailand. So Thailand has a GDP of 455 billion. Visa has a market cap of 454 billion. Is right, you know, give or take a billion here or there. Uh, and the third point here is that there are 190 countries in the world. And that means that the top 10 most profitable companies each individually have more money than 86% of the countries in the entire world. That means the top 10 profitable corporations have uh, more money at their disposal than 165 out of 190 countries all around the world. And like I said, friends, it just fascinates me, but I don't want to dork out on it. I just want to focus for a second on the money, the power, the control, you know, the struggle for global dominance. It's all happening within this dynamic of these different rankings. You've got the huge multinational corporations, you know, corporations that wield more power and influence than most of the nations on the planet. And what we know is that big fish eat little fish. We know that predators prey upon the weak. We don't need to have a PhD in economics to understand that having that much money and power wields an unimaginable amount of influence. And now with this data fresh in our minds, Friends, I uh, implore you to consider the power and influence of today's public-private partnerships, the relationships between big gov, big, big companies that are partnering up with big, big governments. And, uh, you know, it's the biggest of the big in both cases. And they're doing this, this partnering to advance a global agenda that consolidates a nearly limitless amount of power in the hands of the global elite. When it's us against them, local control against the global cabal, we got to look at what's going on here. You know, the genius of the economic forum, the World Economic Forum, the WEF, Klaus Schwab, Schwab who says you will own nothing, eat bugs, and be happy. Uh, the genius of what they've done with their intentional infiltration throughout the global network of NGOs and their targeted penetration of the high-profile political positions. There's that video I don't, uh, shared a while back here. And Klaus Schwab said, we got to penetrate the cabinets. we got to penetrate the cabinets. So he's raising up the young global leaders like Justin Trudeau et al. and getting them into these high-profile political positions. And with all of this influence combined, you've got the, the multinational trillion-dollar corporations. You've got the, the international network of NGOs, which are siphoning off of this, uh, these you know, billionaire philanthropists like Bill Gates. So Microsoft, okay, number two, what do they do? Well, now they've spent off billions of dollars and they pump it into a nonprofit or an NGO that then goes about advancing the progressive agenda, the regressive progressive agenda. This is how it works. And so with all this influence, again, everybody else can pretty much just be bullied and bought off. Once they've partnered between the biggest of the big companies and the biggest and the big governments, then they've got this, this arsenal at their disposal and pretty much they can steamroll the rest of humanity. But that's where it gets personal because as you know, you know, global forces are foisting their woke commie agenda down the throats of an unsuspecting public in small towns all across the country. And I would add all around the globe at this point. You know, people do not realize what we're up against. The globalists say jump and the federal leaders ask how high. Mitch McConnell, well, Jay, how high? You know, the majority of state leaders simply fall in line. Because they're petty tyrants for the most part, at least, uh, you know, the great illustrious King Inslee over here in Washington State. But, you know, they, they, they're high on their own power. And they're also addicted to federal funding. So the federal funding gives them, it fuels their power, you know, their power-hungry craze. And 
from the you know federal to the state down to the county level, the county officials, I mean, they just mostly, I mean, they just see like they're dumbstruck, you know, duh, you know, dumbstruck by the idea that they can do anything other than follow orders. And of course, the city policies inevitably align with the overarching agenda for the same reasons. And if you don't fall in line, then you're not getting your school funding. You're not getting uh, your grants. You're not getting whatever you need to pay your exorbitant salary for your sitting on your ass and, and just doing what you're told. Okay, I digress. <laughs> um, th- thus, ultimately, friends, the average everyday American, uh, we're increasingly faced with this woke progressive policy, this woke progressive agenda like transgender bathrooms and radical environmental restrictions and all that, despite the fact, despite the fact that the vast majority of American communities flatly reject the insanity. That's the reality. But I want to, you know, note the distinction there. I did not say the vast majority of Americans. I said the vast majority of American communities. And that distinction is really important. I think going forward, we need to really focus on that distinction, the vast majority of American communities. And just to drive that point home, you might recall uh, that the 2,547 counties all across the country voted to make America great again in the 2020 election. And only 509 counties voted for the senile old sock puppet. Uh, Anyway, and I would bet that even in the 509 counties that voted for the senile old sock puppet, uh, these highly corrupt, deeply deceived, deep blue counties, even in those places, there was a healthy percentage of people who voted who would have voted or did vote for strong economy, energy independence, and all the stuff that came with the Trump administration, as opposed to voting for the rampant inflation and belligerent build back better agenda of Biden and his globalist handlers, which is to say that all across the country, the majority of people want the American dream to still be alive. And I I mean, the contrast is so sharp there, 2,547 counties voted to make American great again, only 509 voted for the sock puppet. So that's, that's over 2000 more counties. It's, it's, it's not even close. And the U S census bureau, just, I, I was, I don't know why I was dorking out on the numbers today, guys, but the, uh, the U S census census bureau actually lists 3,143 counties and county equivalents in the 2020 one population estimates. And you have to download the full data set to really dig into it. And being the curious peasant that I am, that's exactly what I did. I did put the link in there. It's a little bit complicated. You click there, you go on there, scroll down and click here and download it. And then you have to dig through and sort out and sift through all the stuff. But here are a few things that stood out to me from the data. If we're looking at our country, what, you know, where are we at as a country? And I'm focusing on the majority of communities. If the majority of communities reject the globalist agenda, you know, let's look at what the what are the dynamics, uh, the attributes of the average American community. And what stood out to me in the data from the Census Bureau is that there are only 47 counties out of 3,143. Only 47 counties have a population of one million or more people, and that's that's only 1.5. Five percent of the communities in the United States. The, that means the vast majority. You know, ninety-eight point five percent of the communities are smaller than a million people. And drilling down a little bit deeper, uh, less than eighteen percent of the American communities of our American communities are located in counties 
that have a population of 100,000 or more. So they're of, of all the 3,143 counties, and you think counties have county road departments, they have, you know, they have uh, county courthouses, county seats, county commissioners, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there are only 563 out of 3,143 counties, only 563 have a population of 100,000 or more. You go, whoa, that's really something. That means that the vast majority of our country the vast majority of American communities are thriving in counties with less than 100,000 people. It helps put things in perspective. The math works out to 80.59% uh, of the nation is comprised of communities that exist in counties that have a population of less than 100,000 people. And that's that should be a wake-up call, especially to people who live in an urban area think, oh, come on, you know, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, LA. I mean, this is where all the people are at. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of Americans live in communities and in, in, in counties that have less than 100,000 people. And in fact, you know, the uh, a fun fact here, you know, there are 740 different counties that have a population of less than 10,000 in the entire county. OK, that means there are more counties with a population of less than 10,000 than there are counties with a population greater than 100,000. Again, let that sink in. It's shocking. If you've never, I've never looked that closely at the numbers myself personally, but I was digging out and go, wow, this is good news. You know, America is a nation of close knit small town communities. And this is readily observable. It's, it's, it's an irrefutable fact. And it's a fact that carries big, huge implications because any effort to, quote, save our nation or, or get our country back on track must ultimately account for this dynamic. The vast majority of our country is small town USA. And as a republic, our constitution was written to protect small town USA from being preyed upon by the more powerful metropolitan areas. The big cities, just by virtue of being a big city, they tend to consolidate industry and profit and political influence by virtue of having a larger population, it just comes with the comes with the territory, so to speak. And as a bonus, these big blue cesspools also have a seemingly endless supply of useful idiots who are ready to vote for free handouts and ridiculous government programs of every shape and size. You know, why not have drag queen story hour so full grown men dressed up in you know thongs can shake their gongs in front of little kids faces? How sick is that? You know, it's much harder to pass such crap in rural areas. And I was thinking about it. Why is that? You know, the vast majority of the country, small town USA, you know, there's a there's a what you know, nah, I don't want that crap around here. Why is it, you know, that we resist such crap in the small town areas? And I believe it's because small town citizens, which make up the majority of our nation, are closer to nature. And despite being spread out through sparsely populated areas, we are closer to each other. In small town USA, rural communities, family and tribal ties run deeper than the callous interactions that are so commonplace in a large urban environment. You think about it, you know, uh, out in the big city, somebody's always got their hand out. Everybody's always working an angle. There are swindlers and shysters on every street corner. It's a dog eat dog world in the concrete jungle. Competition is fierce. Clout is everything. And it's easy to look down on the people from the glistening urban towers, not realizing 
that being so lofty, they've lost touch with natural reality, with the world that exists beyond their bubble. So I see people living in the urban, in the metro area, in this lifestyle, and they, you know, whatever, the great career and, you know, all the, the, the salary that comes with it and all this kind of stuff, high class living, high and high on the hog, however you want to say it. There's a, there's a detachment that comes with that and they cannot sense their own domestication. They fail to notice their drift into increasing degrees of delusion and detachment from reality. They succumb to the worst aspects of human nature, you know, pride, ignorance, prejudice. This is, it's all part and parcel of being a human being, but in the urban environment, you know, they become so galvanized in this obtuse arrogance that resists reconciliation to the reality that exists outside of their narrow, highly domesticated, increasingly unnatural personal experience. That is the opinion of this here ignorant peasant. My friends, I don't think they ever suspect that we can see through their facade because they cannot see through it themselves. They are trapped in a mirage that is set to evaporate right before their eyes. And it's going to happen China style because China's the role model. Remember, you know, this, this whole unsustainable lifestyle and all that kind of stuff, who's really going to suffer are the most are the people who are in the big metro areas. That's just the reality of it. So here's the thing. I believe, and I believe that, you know, the human spirit. I believe it is self-evident that the human spirit yearns for freedom. We instinctively long to be free. And rural living affords the opportunity for us to explore this freedom as our forefathers did before us. Wide open spaces to roam and to ruminate. Miracles in every moment when we stop and pay attention. Nature is full of wisdom, bearing lessons that are as timeless as the seasons. The best laid plans of mice and men are no match for the cruel indifference of time. The weather cares not for the farmer. The storm cares not for his home. In the natural world, we are constantly humbled by the raw power of mysterious forces that are forever beyond our control. We don't even try to control the seasons. What's the point? But we learn to dance with the seasons. Patterns abound and many things are in fact predictable, not the least of which are the serendipitous surprises that delight our senses in unexpected moments of joy. The little things that light us up, a bird landing and looking at you, you know, butterfly on your shoulder, whatever the case may be. You know, life is not fair, but life is good really good when we get right down to it. And that's a perspective that is shaped by being in close proximity and connection with nature. You know, I would dare say there are more pessimists in the city than there are in the country, precisely because urban dwellers lack the time in nature that can balance one's perspective. It is the urban horde who still believes that corrupt politicians have any intent whatsoever to solve all their problems. It is the urban horde, the ignorant masses that believe the government will keep them safe. Any rational person can see through this illusion, but the domesticated masses cannot. That means the future depends on us out here in small town USA. There is a great imbalance of power right now. There are gross distortions in our political process, it's a really nice way of putting it, that have ripped representative government out of the hands of the American people. 
Mob rule has steadily been displacing the will of we the people under the banner of democracy in the name of the greater good. And these ideas, again, are coming down from on high. They, the global elites, they wield enormous power. They have captured the minds of the masses. They have bought off our politicians. They will continue to leverage the useful idiots as a tool in their ongoing effort to deprive the American people of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and enslave the whole of humanity in in an Orwellian surveillance state. Friends, they believe they've got us beat. But get your head out of the clouds and get your feet back in the dirt, my friends, because there's a damn good reason that the vast majority of Americans can prefer to live in country communities, and it's because... Country folks can survive. Country folks can survive. Yeah, this is our country. And don't you ever forget it, my friends. That is the message of my heart for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the great honor. Take the time. Find that little heart. Click the heart and give me some love. Subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And above all else, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this wild, whimsical Wednesday. Stay wise, friends. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. 